Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion for episode 41. I hope you are all enjoying all the extra podcasts in March. And early next week, we look forward to the Cheltenham Festival with former champion hurdle winning jockey Richard Lindley. In today's podcast, I spoke again to the show's international cricket expert, Roland Butcher, in Barbados, for his thoughts on the recent India versus England test series. Keep sending in all those reviews about the podcast and your questions for the Ask Richard Pittman about the Grand National Programme. I know you will all look forward to hearing Richard again on the paddock and the pavilion. So wherever you are in the world, let's have a question for Richard. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back to the paddock and the pavilion, Roland. Stephen, always a great pleasure to speak with you. How is it in Barbados? Have you had your jab yet? Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, no. I, I haven't put myself down to have it at the moment. I'm allowing the others to go and get theirs. Uh, as you know, you know, I think we've only had about um, 100,000 shots donated by India, of which the Prime Minister donated some to St. Vincent. I would think very soon, if not now, the, the ones here in Barbados, the first shot would all be used up. So, you know, I'll have to wait for several batches later to come. So there was, there's been some horrendous lines. So there's no point in getting involved at this stage. But, it, but it's quite safe out there, though. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's as safe as it ever has been. I mean, you know, from the start of the pandemic till now, uh, you know, no real difference. Uh, you know, um, obviously, you've had some community spread, which they're dealing with. But I think generally, you know, you know, people go and do what they have to do. I mean, businesses are all reopened and everything else. So life is going on. Well, that's good news. I, I... I will mention my own jab because um, I should have had it last Tuesday. Well, I thought I'd booked it for last Tuesday and I turned up at Wisbeach uh, for my jab. And then when I arrived and I arrived early, so then I went back to my car. And then when I then went back, um, I noticed my booking was for this Tuesday. So All right. I still haven't had it yet. OK, well, you, well, you, you have <laughs> Anyway, today we're going to uh, discuss England's comprehensive 3-1 defeat in the Test Series against India. On our last podcast, you said that um, India would edge the series. And I'd like to get your views on a few themes. Plus, we must talk about the revival in the Caribbean. Yeah, sure. Of course. To start with, did, did you think England were in some ways better prepared for the Test Series having come back from Sri Lanka than India, because we started really well in that first test. Yes, England had a good start in the first test. Um, obviously, I think what helped um, in that first test was that England batted first and were able to get a big score on the board. And I mean, as you know, in any cricket game, 
doesn't matter where you're playing, if you can get a big first inning score, um, it puts a lot of pressure on the team who bats second. So, you know, England was able to do that in that first test match and obviously go on to win. In terms of India, obviously India had returned from Australia very much on a high, having won an unexpected um, series there in Australia and a very good one too, thoroughly deserved. But, as I said, the, the innings, particularly by Joe Root, in that first test match, really offset the apple cart for India. And, you know, after that, they were struggling. But obviously, what happened since then, you know, obviously, you would expect a team who, you know, who's one of the best teams in the world playing at home, you would expect that at some stage, they will get their game together and bounce back. Yeah, and in the first test, we also had that um, fantastic over by Jimmy Anderson when he got uh, Shubman Gill and Rahani out in the same over. Yes, I think, I think Anderson, obviously, most of the time having the ball most by himself. And yes, he you know he picked up those wickets. But, you know, as I said, that innings really by root, um, which was an outstanding knock, uh, really put England in a poor position. And they never really relinquished that stranglehold from that point on and got the result that, that they thoroughly deserved. Whether it gave them a false sense of security um, is another matter. Well, England won that first test by 227 runs. And uh, one of the topics that sort of hit the headlines in the UK after that, particularly the second and third tests, were the pitches. In the second test, the match only lasted three days. The, um, the third test only lasting two days. What were your thoughts on the surfaces for those two matches? Well, that's a very good question. I, mean, I, I thought for a spectacle of test cricket, I don't think the pitches were of the standard. Um, you know, if, if they were of the standard for test cricket, um, you would ask that they're prepared each and every time. And that really would not be a, a good um, spectacle for the game. You know, a test match finishing in two and three days and on the first day, actually seeing the ball pitching in certain areas and, and divots coming out of the pitch. So it cannot be deemed in any way satisfactory for Test cricket because Test cricket really should be about um, an even contest between bat and ball and providing entertainment for the viewers, whether they're in stadia or at home, you know, watching their televisions, etc. So it's an entertainment sport that we're in and really... I thought those two pitches were not conducive to top-class test cricket. Obviously, in those two situations, you know, you had some players who were able to flourish, but, you know, that's the case with any pitch. You know, somebody will flourish. But the fact is that too often um, it wasn't about the skill of the player, but a lot of luck came into it. And test cricket should not be about a lot of luck. Um, it should be about... Um, high skill between bat and ball. Certainly those two pitches were, from my estimation, um, too favourable for for the spin bowlers. What do you think then is the ideal test wicket? Well, for me, the ideal test wicket is one that, you know, initially gives the fast bowlers some encouragement. Um, two, you know, day two and three flattens out to be a nice batting track. And by day four and five, is offering the spinners uh, some turn. So it brings all aspects of the game into play. So the, both the fast bowlers, the batsmen, and the spin bowlers, you know, 
get involved. Anything that is too one-sided, if it's too flat, where there's no encouragement for fast or slow bowlers, that is not a good pitch. Um, it's good if you're a batsman, um, then you're very pleased. But it's not a good test pitch. And at the same time, if the pitch also is too heavily tilted, either in the fast bowler's um, favour or the spin bowler's favour, again, that's not a test pitch. So the ideal pitch really is something that provides opportunity for all facets of the game to flourish. Well, in the second test, say England lost by 317 runs in the third test by 10 wickets. But um, I'm sure you'll agree the two Indian spinners, Aksa Patel and uh, Ravi Chandran Ashwin, both bowled supremely well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are players who are used to playing in their own conditions. And if the conditions are helpful, you know, they're both players who can exploit it. Obviously, Patel is relatively new, but you can still see what a fine bowler he is. Um, Ashwin is, you know, is an experienced player. He's been around a long time and you know his value to Indian cricket. So if you put those two together in conditions that are favourable and if they've got a score on the board, then really it makes it extremely difficult for the batsman. You can't say that the England batsmen show themselves in glory in terms of their performances uh, or, or their skill level, but you still have to observe that things were heavily tilted in favour of the spinners. What did you think to the England spinners? Uh, Jack Leach got 18 wickets in the series. Moen Ali, eight wickets, but unfortunately then um, was scheduled to go home. What did you think to their performances, along with Don Bess? Well, I think the England spinners, as we know, are not as good as the Indian spinners. And we knew that before the series. Um, this is not something that we only found out during the series, you know, Ashwin has been a, a long campaigner, you know, with a, a good a good history. And you saw what uh, Patel is able to do. So really before ball was bowled, you know, certainly in my mind, I knew that the Indian spinners were were better than the, than the English spinners. I mean, Don Bess is someone who's trying to find his way in the test cricket, you know, a very inconsistent performer one day. You know, reasonably good another day, not so good. You know, and Leach, not necessarily a you know a match-winning left-arm spinner. You know, he's a decent left-arm spinner who do a good job for the team. But I don't think he's a a spinner that you know a batsman would really um, lose too much sleep about. So, you know, the England spinners were always going to be, you know, not as good as as the Indian spinners, uh, but. You know, and, and India obviously have some good players to spin, so you know it was going to be a tough job for them, even even in the conditions that help them. And what also helps them, uh, one of your former colleagues, Simon, who's said on Channel Four Television about the increase with DRS almost making the stumps thirty percent bigger. How would you yourself have tackled playing against spinners of Patel and, and uh, Ashwin in these conditions? Well, in, the, in those conditions, which, as I said, were very helpful to them, I think one thing you would have to understand is that, you know, if you stand for any length of time, you're always going to be under constant pressure. I don't think there's going to be any relief. There's never going to be a situation where you feel that you're really in uh, because, you know, if you saw the different pitches, um, one of the pitches, even though the spinners took all the wickets, over 90% of the wickets were straight balls. 
And, you know, that was because of the uncertainty of the pitch. So you wouldn't have minded if the ball was just, you know, if the ball was spinning every ball, then obviously, you know, you can, de- you can develop a technique to play against, against that spinning ball. But when a ball pitches in the same place and goes straight on, it then creates a lot of doubt um, in the batsman's mind whether to play or whether to leave. So the straight ball really accounted for so many batsmen on both sides. But really, in those conditions, you've either got to get well forward or you've got to get right back. Um, I think you've also got to be you know, pretty good and confident in your use of the, of the feet, you know, trying to get out to the, to the pitch of the ball, trying to get to it on the half volley or on the full. If, if you play half and half from the crease, really, it's only a matter of time before, you know, you, you get something to bat pad or something like that. Conditions are not easy for batting, you know, so you'd expect it to be hard. You also would need a degree of luck because... You know, against quality spinners um, who's going to be attacking all the time, there's never going to be a stage where the field inside will be on the defensive because, you know, you will not be able to score quickly enough um, to, to put them on the defensive. So it's really a battle of attrition and, you know, hope that you stay in as long as possible. And obviously, the longer you stay in, then things become a little bit easier. And but I don't think England really apply themselves that well. Most of them got out playing a lot of shots. That was their way of counter, countering the spin. And, and it proved really to their detriment. Yeah, we had opening stands after the first test, um, where we put on 63 for the first test in the first innings. We followed up with opening stands of 0-0, 17-2, 0-10-10. 0-10-10. always struggling. And did you think the pressure batting sort of wore Joe Root down a bit by the end of the series? Well, I think the pressure wore all of them down, not just Joe Root. And the final major topic uh, in this country was about um, selection and rotation. England seemed to, in the last third and fourth test, keep picking the wrong side. In the third test, we picked four seamers. And in the uh, fourth test, we, we picked two. What were your thoughts on the selection? Yeah, obviously they read the conditions wrong. You know, if you notice, India had their full array of spinners in all the games, and um, you know, and as you said, that Test match where you know Stokes had to open the bowling as, as a fast bowler, as a part-time bowler, which he is these days, created a lot of imbalance within the side. It was then really them relying on their three spinners in in Leach, Bess, and um, Root to to do the work. Uh, and, you know, when really, you know, Anderson showed that, um, certainly with his figures, that, you know, a decent seam bowler could have done a good job. So I think they got that wrong um, when they played all of those spinners and um, and not enough fast bowlers. I think India, and they should, know, obviously they know the conditions better. You know, they read the conditions certainly much better than England and put out sides that were appropriate for each test match. And we spoke before in the previous podcast about rotation. Are you still in favour of the need for rotation because the environment we're in? I have no difficulty with rotation, you know, if, if people have had long runs. But I think in this in these two series, you know, Sri Lanka and 
India, they, you know, they were short series, so they're not long series. So I I don't see why they had to be rotating so much. I would imagine that, you know, they should have you know, tried to keep as strong a side as possible because, again, saying India, you can't chop and change. You got you have to get into a rhythm, and and keep playing. I would have I would have liked to see more Ali certainly played those last few games because, you know, he he would add. Uh, something to the bowling and he, and obviously as a batsman and a left-handed batsman so you know I think he you know would have made it more difficult for the Indian batsman certainly the Indian best Yeah and I think in fairness to Moen Ali he was scheduled to come home so that was the reason why he came home Yeah that was understood but as, as I said I mean I you know this 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 certainly tour of India I, I would have had to revise that schedule because I think, you know, he, he was an important player. And despite that, I mean, England lost 3-1, but um, in the fourth test on the penultimate day, India were 146 for six, replying to England's apparently low score of 205 until Rishabh Pant and Washington Sundar added over 100 and then obviously won that match. Uh, what were your impressions of Rishabh Pant? Well, I don't think anybody should be surprised by what he's done because you, you would have seen it before. You know, you've only got to cast your mind back to a few test matches before that in Australia. And you saw a couple of innings that he played there. So you saw the capabilities and the audacity of him as a player. Same thing with Sundar. I mean, Sundar showed in Australia that, you know, he, he, he is no lower batsman. You know, you can see that he is a batsman of quality. So... Both of those players had shown signs that, you know, they were good players and, and they enhanced that during the series. Hence, they were able to put together that partnership that you spoke about. So I don't think England should have been surprised at all. Now, how good are this Indian side? They're now in the World Test Championship final against New Zealand, which is going to be played at the Aegeus Bowl. How good a side are they? Well, they've been a top side for a while. Um, there's no question about that. I quite fancy New Zealand to win that, actually. Um, I think I think New Zealand cricket is going very much in the right direction right now. They've got good balance of you know quality batsmen, and, and I think their bowling their bowling attack, particularly pace attack, is probably one of the best in the world right now. The, if they were playing in India, I would fancy India for sure. But the fact that they're playing in England and in English conditions, you know. My money will be very much on New Zealand to, to, to win that Test Championship. Well, I know it's a different format, but um, New Zealand did beat India in the, the World Cup semi-final over here in 2019 because of their their seam attack. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean they've got a very good seam attack. There's no question about it. And, and players to come back. You know, you've got people like Ferguson to come back into the side. And obviously the revelation really has been Jameson. You know, his rise up the rankings as a, a all-rounder, you know, as a very high-quality all-rounder. And, you know, he would be a standout player, certainly in England, when the conditions will will suit him. So, you know, I, I think New Zealand really, there have been a team for a long, long time that's punched very much above their weight. Um, I think before people would have thought that, you know, when they punched above their weight, it wasn't expected. I think with New Zealand now, anything they produce is expected. Uh, their, their cricket really has developed to a very high level and um, in all forms of the game. And um, I think they're very much on the up 
and you know I should really give India um, a good a good test a good series. And how do you think how do you think India will do in their five test match series against England in the summer? Well, it's a chance for England to reverse what has happened in, in India. Um, you know, the Indian pace attack is not bad, but I think England must they must back their pace attack against India's pace attack in their home conditions. Um, I don't think the pitches can be anything but quite helpful to the seam bowlers. And you, you have to back your batters to play better in your conditions um, than the, the Indian batsmen. I think it's going to be a fascinating series. I'm looking forward to it. Again, I think it'd be close. And it's a series I think that even though India won this last series, it's a series that I think England will just shave as well. Well, thank you for your prediction there. Um, going back to one of your earlier predictions in the last uh, uh, podcast, we spoke about the West Indies who were just at that time due to travel, or actually were there in Bangladesh. And they had a very successful tour winning both test matches with Kyle Myers making 210 on his debut. What can you tell us about Kyle Myers and about that series? Well, first of all, yeah, Kyle Myers played exceptionally well in that second innings to pull off an improbable victory where, you know, a West Indies team, even with all the stars chasing 400, is not an easy target. So to have reached nearly 400 and win with a side that was not expected to even compete with a lot of new players really was a, a performance beyond belief. I don't think anyone expected them to perform in that manner. And really, that one innings by Kyle Mears, you know, 210 out took West Indies to a victory, which would have given them, you know, a lot of confidence. Yeah, Kyle Mears is um, a good young player who in the last couple of years has developed. Well, I say young, I mean, he's probably 27, 28 now, so he's not that young. But, you know, initially, couldn't get into the Barbados side, so he was playing franchise cricket for the Winwoods. Obviously, getting experience. Uh, we brought him back home um, two seasons ago. He then had an outstanding um, Super 50 last year. Um, followed that up in the four-day, in his first his first year playing four-day cricket for Barbados, um, where he made you know several centuries, was one of the standout batsmen, and really got his opportunity to go on this tour. And you know, really stood out in that test match. I think he got a 40 out in the first innings, looked very good. But that 210 in the second innings really was an outstanding performance. The question is whether he's able to replicate that um, in the future. I think he's set a very high standard now, so anything less than that, um, he may be judged fairly harshly, But um, which would be not the right thing to do. But I think a lot would be expected of him now, and we'll He'd have to wait and see whether he could really live up to the reputation that he's built for himself. Well, West Indies were chasing 395, yeah. and he be- he became the sixth batsman to score a double century on on his debut. Yeah, that's I mean that that really is an outstanding feat, you know, for someone who, under normal circumstances, probably would not have made a trip, but you know he got the opportunity to play and. You know, that's what you want to see players do. You want to see them take those opportunities. And, you know, he really has taken that opportunity along with the likes of Bonner and um, De Silva. I think those are three finds 
on that tour and really should provide some stiff competition for West Indies selection. Well, that's good news for cricket in the Caribbean. And you followed it up with the 2-1 series victory in the T20 series against Sri Lanka, where a certain Kieran Pollard got six sixes in and over in the first game. Yeah, yeah you would you would expect West Indies to, to win those ones. I mean, Sri Lanka has only just arrived in the region, so they're just adjusting to the conditions. Um, Sri Lanka is not the team they were years ago. I mean, there's no Jasaraya, there's no Sangakara, no Jay Wardner, no Arno Atapatu. You know, those are players of high high quality. More um, Lithuan. You know, they don't have those type of players in their side. So really, you know, they've got you know they've got some goodish players who, you know, yet to really make their mark. So, you know, as the series go by, I, I would expect them to become a lot more competitive. But in the T20. You know, I, I really didn't expect them to do as well as they did, in actual fact, in Sri Lanka. Um, but West Indies just edged it, and they should have, because, you know, if you look at the sides, man for man, in terms of T20 cricket, you know, West Indies have got far more experienced and successful T20 players than Sri Lanka. So you would expect that they should win. They made it difficult, and, um, you know, Sri Lanka was always, always in the games, and even right up to that last game. And as you said, you know, Pollard was able to hit six sixes. There was also a hat-trick in that game as well. And the last game also, you know, was fairly close. You know, if it wasn't for a, a, a no ball, that Jason Holder hit for six, which then opened up the gate. Again, that could have been a very tight one. So, you know, West Indies just got over the, the edge there. Yesterday, they'd got over the, um, the line in the 50-over and quite easily. You know, again, Sri Lanka trying to adjust to conditions. This game was played now at um, Sir Vivian Richards Stadium, so that's the first time they play there. Um, excellent start, 100 without loss, and um, get only made 230-odd. Not enough in those conditions. The West Indies was able to win quite easily. So I would expect the remaining matches that they will perform a lot better. Yeah, you've got two more one-dayers as we're recording here on a Thursday and two test matches as well. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, two more games. West Indies will look to try and obviously close up the ODI series in the next game. But, you know, Sri Lanka will be certainly trying to bounce back from the, this first defeat. I mean, they were nowhere that went wrong. You know, the batting was not particularly um, good after that initial opening partnership. And then the run-ups was quite comical as well, uh, which allowed them to, you know, to lose the game. You know, my concern really for Sri Lanka is in the fast bowling department. I, I think their fast bowling is quite ordinary. Um, this, there definitely is a shortage of, of fast bowlers, and, and that may work to them, work against them um, in the rest of these these two matches and the Test series. Just returning to the T20, what did you think of the selections of uh, Chris Gale and Fidel Edwards for the T20 side? Well, I think it's a it's a case of really trying to see whether those guys still has what it takes. I think everything taking place throughout this year is going to be geared towards the World Cup. So they wanted to obviously take an early look to see whether um, you know those are two players, you know, if on top form, if they can contribute to to the World Cup. Uh, things didn't work out in that T20 series. Now. The interesting thing is going to be when the other teams come, because as you know, 
you've got Pakistan, Australia, and South Africa due to come also this summer. And there's T20s in those series as well. So it'd be interesting to see whether um, they're chosen again um, for those series to see whether they still has it, still have that ability to play. And um, then following those series, then, you know, they, they, they'll have the World Cup. But I would think, Joel, this summer, they'd be looking at trying to get a settled team or a settled group of players in place um, for the World Cup. So uh, whether Gail and Edwards gets another opportunity, it might be a little bit harsh to have given them only one series to say whether they were good enough or not. It may be that the next series you have to give them an opportunity. And obviously, if they fail, then you know which direction you're going. Well, thank you for those thoughts on the Caribbean cricket. Uh, and just returning finally to England, what positives would you think England would take out of the series against India? Well, I don't think there's a lot of positives, really, that England could take out. Um, because apart from that first Test match, really, you know, the performances, and if you look at the scores, you know, I, I would imagine after that they probably reached 200 once. That's right, so, yeah. You know, they were very, very low scores. So from a batting point of view, not a great deal that you can be happy about. Um, I, would, I would imagine in the last Test match, you know, Dan Lawrence got two, two scores, so... At least he held his hand up. He didn't get many opportunities before that to play. But the chance that he did get, at least he, you know, he did something. So I guess, you know, he, he he's probably a positive. Um, the only other positive really would be Juru. And you know that already. So that is not something new. And you would have liked Flintoff, you, not Flintoff, you would have liked Ben Stokes to have um, regained his, his form, which he didn't. So... Not a lot of positives coming out of that series for England. Well, on that subject, I was going to pose you a question. England are due to play Australia in the first test at Brisbane on December the 8th, uh, 2021. And I just wanted to, to, uh, to try and ask you to look in your crystal ball and uh, give me the England 11 um, who will play in that test match. Well, no 12 or 13 or squads, or I just want your 11. Well, I, I, I would imagine the unless something happened drastically throughout this summer, uh, I think you still got Burns and Sibley as, you know, even though they failed in India, different conditions totally. So, you know, those will come into the reckoning. Uh, Root, Crawley is there. Um, I would say, you know, Porpoise will be part of the, the setup. Um, obviously, Butler be back. Would I'm looking at? I'm looking at a squad. Um, oh, again, you're out of the eleven, you see. Well, it's it's difficult. I mean, because in Australia, you know, your pace attack's going to be important. So, I would I would say, you know, you, you're looking at. You, I think if Anderson is still in fitness, you have him. You have Broad, um, Archer, um, Walks. And that's what four fast bowlers or five? Um, You've got four at the moment. You've got Wokes, Archer, Broad, Anderson, Anderson, and you got Stokes. Right. I presume he'll play. Stokes and obviously, yeah, Stokes obviously would be another one. So your fast ball in the 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 spinners. I mean, I I would I would I would say Moanali would have an opportunity as I don't think the Australians play off spin particularly well anyway. So. 
you know, and, and you might need some of his lower order brands. Um, you know, Butler. So really, there's only room really in the team. There's only room in the team for, I think, one spinner. So there will be times where you don't play elite tour. Best is on that tour. You know, you have to fill in overs with the likes of Joe Root and the and the off spinner in in one alley, and then supplement it. You know, with, with fast bowlers. You know, Australia. Australia will do similarly. I mean, their their team will be packed with fast bowlers. So I think England can start planning right now to have a battery of fast bowlers for that series. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for that. Thank you again for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. Hopefully, we can uh, chat when after England have played those two Test matches against New Zealand, which uh, I think begin on the second of June. When hopefully. We might even have some spectators at the game. Well, that would be welcome because, you know, it's been well over a year now that cricket fans who look forward to the summer and watching cricket haven't been able to get out and do their pastime. Um, so it would be a good good thing if that can happen. Right. Well, thank you very much. Stephen, always a pleasure. And um, I certainly look forward to seeing the summer of cricket. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pav. Sports Social Podcast Network.